Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's go together in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We are continuing in the message that Pastor Wise led last Sunday. He took verse 1 of chapter 2, and I'm picking up where Pastor Brian left off in verses 2 through 4. So if you would go with me to Philippians chapter 2. This is a letter that Paul wrote. It's a pastoral letter, a letter of instruction and encouragement to the church in Philippi. He desired the church to have unbreakable joy, and that is the desire of every spiritual leader, pastor, elder for a congregation, that we would have unbreakable joy. Paul was a prisoner when he wrote this letter. He delivered it, and we are going to unpack it this morning, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now this, this text, before we read it, just uh, let's remind ourselves again this morning that all Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable. It's useful for us that we would be built up in good works, built to completion and righteousness, that we might know how to live, how to walk now and for all eternity more like Christ and seeing Christ. So this particular text is very, it, it's a lot of application that Verse 1 was the setup, and now 2 through 4 is going to be application. And as we, let's just prepare ourselves to receive this. God's word is good for us, and Lord, help us to obey. Here's the text. Let's, let's read together Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is the word of the Lord. Scripture is our final, ultimate authority for all matters of faith and life. This is the ground that we're going to build our lives on. And Lord, help us to apply what we read and see in Scripture. So last Sunday, we saw, so the overall this theme of the verses 1 through 4 is a pastoral plea for unity. Paul is pleading with the church in Philippi to be united. There was some disagreement in the church between Yodia and Syntyche, and that was working itself out in some difficult ways, and so Paul's addressing this, the pastoral plea for unity. We saw last week, number one, the point was to perform a spiritual evaluation. That was from verse one, and Pastor Brian walked through this with us, that if there's encouragement in, from being in Christ, we have this evaluation where, do we have this? Have we been given this? Comfort from Christ, Christ's love, fellowship in the Holy Spirit, and tenderness and compassion. That was our evaluation. Now this Sunday, today, we're on point number two, which is understanding the apostles' expectation. In other words, if we have been given these great riches in Christ, 
how then should we live? How does what we've been given in Christ, this encouragement, comfort, fellowship, the Holy Spirit, tenderness, how do these things impact the way we relate to one another as a church? There is an expectation for unity. So Paul begins by saying, complete my joy. Literally, he is saying, make full my joy, Philippians. Make full my joy by walking in these ways of unity. So we're just going to unpack these this morning. You see in your, your outline, complete my joy by, and there's five, five ways from this text that we'll see us, there's ways for us to practice unity in Christ as a church. The first is, you see in your outline, letter A, being like-minded. It's from verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Being of the same mind. Literally, this word means to think one and the same. Now, pause for a second. What we mean by this is unity, not uniformity. There's a difference. Paul is not interested in having a church that that uh, votes the same, that dresses the same, that likes the same music, watches the same TV shows, ties their shoes the same, etc., etc. That's too surface level. Paul is intending to get to the heart here, and the heart is unity, walking as one, walking together as one, and not walking the same and looking the same and dressing the same. That's, Paul goes to the heart. He expects the church in, at Philippi to savor regard and think about Christ. That should guard our thinking. And that sets unity at mind in the church. We're all thinking of Christ. When believers are in Christ, when we are in Christ, there is more that unites us than divides us. Here's one example, Philippians or not Philippians, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, "I therefore a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Are we eager to maintain this kind of unity? Here's what this looks like. Verse 4, Paul writes, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Our only hope is in Christ. Verse 5, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The Lord reigns. And the Lord is what unites all sorts of believers in different contexts of life and different places around the globe. We have one Lord that we serve, one God that we worship. There's only one way that we might be saved, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Those truths, those realities that we have from God in the gospel unite believers. And these are the things that Paul wants us to be thinking about. What does this look like for a church? Well, we've heard it said many times. First, in essentials, there's unity. The core Christian doctrines. Those essential doctrines are those that if you were to change them, you change the message. You change Christianity. In those essential ways, we're going to be united. That is the nature of God, his character, the humanity and deity of Jesus. Jesus was fully human and fully God. You can't change that. The Trinity, the scriptures, as God's inspired, revealed word without error, sin and salvation. 
These are essential doctrines, and there's no wiggle room on these. God's word is clear, and we stand on God's word. And it's these truths that set Christianity apart from all other religions. In essentials, we're going to be united, but in non-essentials, those doctrines that are, while still important, there's room to disagree, we have liberty. There's room for us to give and take. We can disagree so long as we're not changing the gospel. In non-essentials, there's liberty. And in all things, charity. No matter what, we are to engage and treat one another with grace and love. So what would it look like for a church to practice this like-mindedness, to think one and the same? Certainly Paul has this doctrinal component in mind. This, this word that Paul uses, minded, this like-mindedness, comes up six times in, in the book of Philippians. Paul is concerned about what we think and that it includes our doctrine, but it also includes the way we think about one another. What does this look like when a church, if a church were to practice this? We would seek peace with one another, refuse to argue or divide over preferences, choose to be quick to listen. When I remember, when we remember the encouragement and love that Christ has given to us, he's shown us the Holy Spirit that he's given, this is going to shape the way that I think about my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to think about them, my brothers and sisters, the same way that God thinks. I want to think about you the same way that God thinks about you. And multiply that in a, in a church, that's a foundation for Christian unity. That we look around the room and I don't think, I think about you through the lens of how God thinks about you. That's what it means to be like-minded, to think one in the same is thinking one and the same about one another through Christ. Frank Thielman, he makes this comment. Paul does not imagine that a church is a group of automatons, like robots all walking in step together. Not what he has in mind. But walking in lockstep with one another. Instead, he sees a, a group of individuals who despite their differences are willing to show love for one another through putting the well-being of others first. That's what it means to be like-minded. This is our first, our first principle, our first piece of Christian unity, is to be like-minded. Secondly, letter B, we see also in verse 2, to share the same love. So Paul says, complete my joy by having the same love. This love is agape love. It is self-sacrificing love. Paul says that believers are to possess this kind of selfless love. Jesus modeled this for us while, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the kind of love that Paul expects to fill the church in Philippi. Sacrificial love, seeking the best of others. And this kind of love is described in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So when we gather together for worship, or we share a meal together in our small groups, or wherever we find ourselves, we are expected to love one another the way that Christ loved us. 
with the love of Christ. Now, immediately, that sets each and every one of us to a, a standard and expectation of love that we have no ability to do on our own. The only way I can show this kind of love to you and we can show this kind of love to one another is if Christ gives it to us, and he does, and he empowers us through his spirit to walk in this kind of way together. Christ has shown great love to me, and I don't deserve his love. God has freely loved me in Christ, and if we are in Christ, we are free and empowered to show this love to one another. Three examples, uh, all from the apostle John. First, uh, first John, or John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new command I give to you, that you are to love one another, just as I have loved you. Lord, help us in this. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this, this mark of Christian love and unity will shine through us and make others take notice. God is working this in us, and we want him to keep working this in us. Uh, another, John, 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he, Christ, laid his life down for us. He, he paid the ultimate price. So, John concludes, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This is inseparable. The work of Christ and the love of Christ and the love that we have for one another, you cannot separate them. Verse 17, 1 John 3, But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We put our word, put, let's put it to action. We say we have love, the love of Christ. All right, then let's let that bear fruit. And we're seeing God bear this kind of fruit in us as a church. And this is just, as we go through this message, here's our prayer. Lord, keep working this in us as a church, that we would have this kind of sacrificial love for one another. Here, here's one more, uh, 1 John 4, because again, you can't just pick one cross-reference of a scripture, you just, well, maybe you can. Um, I didn't, uh, 1 John 4, 19 through 21, listen to this. We love because he first loved us. We love God and we love one another because God loved us first. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So again, Paul is clear that if we're going to have Christian unity, he expects us to share the same love. And we will do so by God's grace. A third, a third element of Christian unity that Paul lays out for us is letter C. Oh, uh, let, let me just add this point on here. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. Before we get to letter C, I see this here. Uh, this is important. We can't skip over this. We are to love one another when the relationships are easy and when, and especially when the relationships are difficult. When it's hard to show love, that's when, God, I need your help the most. And then this is where God gets glory in our showing love to one another. When we truly are bankrupt on our own love. And it's put to the test in those practical ways. And we can work these things out and how this would apply 
in our lives and as a church. Letter C, now we'll get to letter C. We can move on. Uh, Living in harmony is the third way that Paul expects the church to show and practice unity. Paul lays this out, complete my joy by being in full accord and of one mind. Okay, here I have a, a couple examples. Have you ever tried to watch a movie and the words of the actors on the screen and the, the voice that you hear, it doesn't, doesn't match. It's out of sync. And like, you're watching, like, is it my eyes? Is it the screen? It's, I knew we had to get that new TV, the 55-inch. That would have done it. Ultra 4K. Uh, and you're looking like, something is off here. What is it? It's not a fun way to watch a movie. It's, you, get, you, you get a headache. And... Uh, so the thing about that, thing about is when things are out of sync, it's not good. Uh, perhaps you've been to uh, an orchestra recital. Um, maybe you've been to the, the Detroit or Orchestra Hall, seen the, the Detroit Institute there. Um, and the, you'll see if you're out there and the, the symphony is getting ready and they go to practice, they're warming up, and everybody's playing their own notes, and it sounds like a just jumble of noise. The trumpets and all the other instruments. You, We'll work those out. But then, but then, the conductor gets ready and he taps his little stick, his baton on the, on the podium, and then the first chair violin stands up. And you see, they, they run their first, their A string. And he starts, or whoever the first chair is, and then across, it goes across to the different instrument sections. They all match the same key, the same note. Now, it's different instruments, they're complimenting one another, but they're playing the same chord, of this, and they're in tune. They're checking that they're in tune. That's what Paul is laying out in this next, this next section, uh, 2C, having the same mind, being in full accord and of one mind. And that's what Paul has in mind here, this being in harmony with one another, that while we are all different, we have different personalities and, and different uniqueness of who we are and giftings, but we can sing the same note, the same choir, the same praise to Jesus. We can harmonize with one another. So what does this look like? Well, first, Paul says full accord. And this word means to be joined together in soul or sentiment, a, a unanimous. But it has a, a community connotation about it, a community of life and love. We could say we have one spirit Here's an example of this kind of unity in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So there's this doctrinal component again. They're fixed on God's word. Verse 43, all came about every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And look at the result. As God is working in the early church, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is this kind of Christian unity. We're united in heart and mind. We're in the, the truth of God's word, but also in our relationships together, we're quick to be in harmony, show love to one another, sharing the unity we have in Christ. So it looks like this. We have one heart together. We remember the greatest commandment. Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
and we love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what the early church practiced, and this is what this, this full accord means. We are as a body, as a community, joined together. We're not just a group of individuals floating and doing our own thing. We're operating as one unit, one family. We're all bonded together through Christ. So what does this look like? We are one family, and Christ is our head. We answer to Jesus. When one member rejoices, the whole body is to celebrate. And when one part of the body is hurting, every member feels that pain and shares that burden together. To be of one accord is the complete opposite of isolation. And I don't want anyone to be isolated. God's given us a church. This is a, one of the means of God's grace that we get to experience. God's placed you here for a reason. So connect and don't isolate. Paul uh, not only says a one accord, full accord, but he says one mind. And this is similar to that, that phrase earlier on of uh, being like-minded. It's to think one of the same thing. But here, the, the connection is having more of one purpose. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Paul instructs the believers there to set their mind on Christ. He writes, uh, Colossians 3, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. So when Paul says we are to have, be of one mind, is we are all united in our purpose, thinking together about the things of God. So we're asking the questions. What part can I play in advancing God's kingdom or God's will right here? We're not going to ask questions like, how can I accomplish my will in this situation? Or how can I make myself look good? Those are, those are questions that are not of one mind. Instead, God's given us one purpose to live for, his glory. And we share the joy in that together. So as we glorify God, this is our, our purpose in which we, are, we set our thinking this way. What can I do to glorify God today when I come to church and worship? How can I serve and bless my neighbors? These are the kinds of questions that are, would be of one mind, re resonating through an entire church. Uh, John Phillips, he comments this. What Paul was after was not just a patching up of differences, but absolute unity of mind, heart, and purpose in the Lord. Not just getting along and faking it, but genuinely love and concern for one another. This is the, our, our fourth point in these different aspects of practicing Christian unity. Letter D, do nothing for your own glory. Do nothing for your own glory. Paul says, complete my joy as you do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing. This word, do nothing, it is a, it's a prohibition. He, it's like he's building a wall and saying you can't cross it. Don't try it. Selfish, selfish ambition means to tear others down. The word here is so interesting. It's like a, to work for hire, but it's used in the negative sense, the bad sense, uh, in the sense of those who seek only their own, those who cause contention or strife or rivalry. It represents a motive of self-interest uh, and a mercenary interest. So think like a bounty hunter. There's no bounty hunters in the room, I'm sure, hopefully, <laughs> except...
For when we are so tempted, and we all can do this, to seek our own way, I'm acting like a bounty hunter. I'm looking out for me and mine and my own way, and that runs great damage to a church. Selfish ambition is a mercenary interest. Paul is giving a warning here in the negative. He's prohibiting these kinds of attitudes and actions. There's two great enemies of unity, selfish ambition and conceit. And this is, again, to be motivated, like a lookout for number one, or me, myself, and I. That's what Paul means by this word. Now, I want to give an example. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. I want to give an example of this kind of mercenary interest, this kind of selfish ambition. John chapter 10. Look with me, beginning in verse 11. John 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves. And the sheep leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Unity. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, Jesus says, but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Why this text? The hireling was practicing a little bit of selfish ambition, looking out only for himself. When the wolf comes, he's gone. He's out of there. He left. When I act with selfish ambition, and this is something that I struggle with and we can struggle with without even recognizing it first. Uh, Pastor Brian, he's been leading Amanda and I through our premarital counseling. And it's awesome. If you haven't done it, I encourage you, go for it. It doesn't matter if you're married or not. The, it's, do it. But here's the thing that I'm learning. Here's one of the things that I'm learning through all of this is I have some selfish ambition. And I didn't know that. I mean, I did, but I didn't. Uh, when I insist on my own way, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, like, well, I would never do that, except I do. I like to control things and have it just my way perfect. And don't you know my way's perfect, Amanda? <laughs> Hang on, time out. That's selfish thinking. And I'm being convicted of this, and we're going through this in counseling, and this is helpful for me to realize, wow, I actually can show love by laying down my preferences. Okay, I'm glad I'm learning this now. Because July's coming, so we're working on this. But, here, but here's the point. When I insist on my own way, I'm acting more like the hireling than the good shepherd. And that's what selfish ambition is in a church, and that's why Paul warns against it. When I look to humbly love and serve others, that's when I'm acting more like Jesus, the good shepherd. And that's what I want to be. I want to love and live like that. Jesus is the good shepherd who is led by love, love for God and love for sinners like you and me 
to lay down his life. Today, hear the voice of the good shepherd calling you to turn from your sin and trust in him. This is selfish ambition. Paul warns against this. Secondly, he warns against conceit. So if selfish ambition is tearing others down, conceit is lifting up self, lifting up me. The word here means vainglory or empty pride. It's like a kingdom of one. I got my little banner set up. Stephen, it's awesome. <laughs> now imagine if we had a hundred of those and we had all these different banners. I'm awesome. I'm the best. Go me. How is that going to build unity in a church? It's not. I want one banner. I want Jesus and the cross, not me. So here's the warning. Guard against this kind of thinking, thinking of myself as the preeminent instead of Jesus. Living for the glory of one is good when that person is worthy of all glory and I'm not worthy of all glory. Neither are you. The only one who is worthy of all glory is Jesus Christ. And this kind of thinking builds unity in a church. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 15, verses 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that you may together with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You want to build harmony in a church? We sing with one voice, glory to God, and through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That kind of a song builds unity. Here's a quote from John Stott. At every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, Pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. It is difficult. Humility is that it's a lowering of ourselves and elevating of others. It's hard. But in a Christian community, God means it for our good. It's our greatest friend. Uh, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If we want to build humility in a church, we want to build unity in a church, we pursue it through humility. And that's where there's blessing in that. God opposes the, the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So there's grace to be had here when we walk this way individually and as a church. And this leads us to our last letter on our outlines, our fifth, our fifth way to practice unity in a church, and that's letter E, humbly serving one another. And Paul, Paul just lays it, you can go back to Philippians 2, you can flip back there. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Steve Lawson, he, he says it this way, and I found this helpful. The Philippians cannot humble themselves under the Lord if they are simultaneously seeking to elevate themselves over others. Humility must start with them surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
So how does this work? How does this work as a church? Paul says, complete my joy by counting others more significant than yourselves, looking not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. What does this look like as a church? For number one, it's humility. To have and walk in humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you, James says. If the dangers that Paul lays out, the, the selfish ambition and conceit, those are the dangers, the remedy, the solution is humility. Humility is to think about ourselves as we really are. Sinners saved by grace. The only thing good about me is Jesus. So I, I like with C.S. Lewis how he, how he frames this. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but it's thinking of ourselves less. And not to say uh, uh, bashing ourselves, but simply looking for ways to look for others instead of myself. This puts me in a posture of love, and it puts me in a posture to serve others instead of thinking what others can do for me. Paul was well aware of this threat that selfish ambition and conceit posed to the church. He, he mentions it in chapter 1. Uh, we, we were over in uh, verses 15 and 17 not too long ago where Paul, Paul highlights this again. Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The, some proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. So Paul, he, he was well aware of this and wants to church of Philippi, hey, be on guard, don't walk this way, but instead walk in humility. This also, we also need personal responsibility. We don't, we don't negate personal responsibility here. Because Paul says, look not only to your own interests. So yeah, we have to look to our own interests. That's important. God's entrusted responsibilities to each, every one of us. Whether it's their job or family, church responsibilities. We're to take care of those blessings as faithful stewards. Paul says we're to maintain responsibility and care for our interest as God sees fit to give us. But also, that doesn't stop with us. We are then to take it one step further and look out for others. Look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, this isn't like spying. I'm not like spying. Now, what are the other people's interests having? What do they have? And this is not like spying, but it's, it's out of a concern, out of a love. Paul draws the attention of the Philippian church here to the, the others. And we might say it this way if we use like our kind of 21st century language. Like, I've got your back. It's, like, it's that calling to one side that God has done for us in Christ, that encouragement. That's what Paul intends for us to walk as a church. I've got your back. It's going to be okay. We'll go through this together. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then there's a, this is my favorite part. In verse 10, Romans 12, outdo one another. If we just stop right there, ooh, outdo one another. Anybody competitive in the room? Me, I got it first. Okay, uh, outdo one another, Paul says, in showing honor. So the, for the competitive ones, and this, just for, this is for all of us. You want to outdo one another? Do it by showing honor to one another. That's this kind of looking out for others that Paul has in mind. Look for ways to honor others. And Jesus also sets this perfect example for us in Mark 10. Jesus called the disciples to him and he says, you know that there are those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles. They lord it over them. 
They exercise great authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Well, why would we do that? Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus came and loved and served us. While we were sinners, he went to the cross. He laid his life down for us. If Jesus was willing to do that joyfully, that's what the writer of Hebrews says, with joy he looked to the cross and scorned at shame. He knew what he was doing when he went to the cross. Who then can I not serve? Which one among us can we not serve? Jesus served the least of these. He served me when I was still in my sin. Why would we not serve one another? Joyfully even, with great love even, because we have been greatly loved. Humility puts us in a position where we are ready and able to bless others and meet real needs. So for the Christian, it looks like this. God first, others second, and then self. And as a church, we can practice this together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he, in one of his, his works on Christian fellowship, he highlights seven principles for eradicating selfish ambition from Christian communities. That's a long title. I'm just going to walk through these. We'll walk through these together. Number one, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say, how to get rid of selfish ambition? First way, he says, hold our tongues. Refuse to speak uncharitably about another Christian brother. Number two, cultivate the humility that comes from understanding that we, like Paul, are the greatest of sinners and we can only live in God's sight by his grace. Number three, listen long and patiently. Lord, help me to do that. Listen long and patiently so that we will understand our our fellow Christians' need. Number four, refuse to consider our time and calling so valuable that we cannot be interrupted to help with unexpected needs, no matter how small or menial. Number five, bear the burden of our brothers and sisters in the Lord, both by preserving their freedom and by forgiving their sinful abuse of that freedom. Come alongside one another. Number six, declare God's word to our fellow believers when they need to hear it. Number seven, understand that Christian authority is characterized by service and does not call attention to the person who performs a service. That's just Dietrich Bonhoeffer helped lay this out, and I found it to be helpful to give us some practical ways of what it looks like to walk in genuine unity as a church. So just to lay this out again as we close, Paul's expectation for the church at Philippi is the same expectation that every faithful pastor, shepherd, or elder has for a congregation. So let's complete the joy of our spiritual leaders and promote unity by being like-minded, sharing the same love, living together in harmony, doing nothing for our own glory, and humbly serving one another. And here we need God's grace again, and that's okay. One question as we prepare to close and praise team, you can come. What is my next step to promote unity in the body of Christ? What is God laying on your heart right now to take this truth and put it into practice today before you go home to practice unity? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we 
love you and we worship you today. Thank you, Lord, that you are so good to us and that you, while we were still sinners, Christ, you died for us. Lord, I pray that you would work this kind of unity again and again into my heart, what it looks like to love and to serve instead of look to be served. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus was the ultimate example for us. Thank you, Lord, that while we were sinners, you died, you laid your life down. So, Lord, I pray you would work this kind of unity in us, a love for one another and a love that is quick to serve. I thank you that you, are all, you have been working this in us. I pray you continue to bear this kind of unity in each of our lives and as a church. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.